over time, alcohol also diminishes your receptivity to things like dopamine, serotonin, and GABA. So it's raising all the bad ones and then it's lowering all the good ones. And that process is also this kind of mental rebalance that you can expect. A few weeks into it, I think I was around like four weeks, all of a sudden I was like a kid in a candy shop. Like I was feeling so good. I was so happy. I was elated. I was like giddy, like feeling like I was literally falling in love. Welcome to the Mindset Mastery Podcast. Today's episode is all about changing your relationship with alcohol to achieve greater health and happiness and unleash your full potential. As we record this episode, I'm currently on my own, no alcohol November. So this topic is actually a very timely one for me right now. Joining me to talk about the science of alcohol on our bodies and brains, healthy coping mechanisms for dealing with stress, and navigating the social aspects and FOMO that comes with going alcohol-free is certified alcohol-free life coach and founder of Euphoric Alcohol-Free, Carolina Jadifolska. Carolina has worked with thousands of clients through her online courses and coaching to help them change their mindset around drinking. Her book, Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You will hit bookshelves on January 4th and it's already available for pre-order. Carolina is also the host of Euphoric, the podcast, and I'm very pleased to have her on my podcast today. How are you doing, Carolina? Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for such a warm introduction and welcome. I'm super excited to be here today. It's awesome. So going alcohol-free, I know a lot of people who tried dry July with me and then, you know, gave up halfway through the month. (laughs) And so, yeah, you messaged me at quite a funny time just to do this podcast episode currently on day 23 of no alcohol, Uh feeling great. And I just want to know what was it for you that initially started your journey to go alcohol free and how long has it been since you had your last drink? Such a great question. So I started really similarly to you and I did dry January for the first time. So that's like really what kicked off my hunger and desire. And I basically did it and I liked it so much. And after dry January, I did go back to drinking on in February, just because I was like, well, normal adults drink. It's just part of the social fabric. It was just supposed to be a break anyway, but I really didn't like it when I went back to it. I really, really didn't like drinking. And I was someone who'd wanted to take a break for years And I was someone who lived a really healthy lifestyle during the week. So Monday through Thursday or Friday, I was like doing my yoga classes, doing my meditations, going, drinking green juices, working out all these things. And then every weekend I would go out or, you know, maybe Netflix and wine or whatever it was. And I just woke up every Monday feeling like five steps backward. And I was like, oh, what, why can't I figure this out? So I wasn't like what you would consider a normal, like problem drinker. Who's like hiding vodka in her drawers or something like that. I feel like we we all have very kind of um, typical drinking habits in the U.S. and Western countries and that we're all kind of a little bit over drinking, basically, uh, compared to like what the health guidelines recommend. And but I still felt so stuck, like, well, if I if I took a break or if I change anything, will people label me? Will people think I have a huge problem, but really dry January and all of these cool months that have like really exploded recently have made it such an acceptable thing to do. And so when I did it, like I said, it was a few years ago and then I just, I just couldn't go back to it in February. I I tried drinking again and I just hated it. And so that February I decided to take another break and it was only supposed to be 30 days. And basically it just kept getting better and better and better and better and better that I decided not to stop. And now we're at almost four years later 
And I've basically written a book about the experience, about how amazing it is to take a break from alcohol on your body, your mind, and your soul. And a lot of really cool benefits that we wouldn't expect. And I really love the topic of your podcast because a lot of times the reason why we drink, it's all driven by this mindset. It's all driven by these beliefs we have around alcohol. And sometimes you get the, at the core of those and you could literally remove someone's desire to drink. So it's super fascinating to me. Yeah, that is fascinating. And, you know, definitely feel the social pressure when you go to just casual barbecues and then especially around the more like event times of year, like Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter or whatever it is, you know, that we're celebrating. So I'd actually love to know what were some of those benefits that you said were kind of unexpected and how long did they kind of take to kick in? Yeah. So Such a good question. So I think at first you notice some of the health and physical benefits. And I think that's what a lot of people expect will happen. You know, like alcohol is a toxin. It is technically a poison and it takes a long time for our body to, to detoxify every night or every time you drink takes a toll on your body. It's, it's like another thing on its system to have to process. In addition to that, it also induces the release of stress hormones in your body. So every time you drink alcohol, you're actually inducing the release of cortisol, adrenaline, and dynorphin in your body. Dynorphin is kind of like the opposite of endorphins. It makes you feel pretty low and depressed. And so what most people don't understand, I think, and I didn't know this either, is that every time you drink the next day, you're really unleashing a lot of anxiety and even like low moods and depression into your life. And I was a really optimistic person. So I really didn't kind of understand how that worked, but I knew Monday mornings, I felt like crap. Monday mornings, I just didn't feel good. Or anytime I drank the next day, I was kind of not really motivated. I didn't really want to work on my goals. I kind of pressed pause on a lot of stuff. You know, I just wasn't feeling my best. And if you think about it, it's like most people don't feel their best after drinking. Like that's almost impossible, right? Like it just affects our body too much. So when you take a break from alcohol, first thing that happens is really your body starts healing and rebalancing. So some of the first cool health effects that happen, even just as five weeks off alcohol, they've proven that things like your blood pressure, your blood cholesterol can all go down. Mine personally went down by 51 points, which is insane. Like most drugs can't even do that. And then all the other cool things happen. So your cancer markers in your blood also go down and your liver heals. So your liver fat heals and improves. And then on top of that, your gray, your gray matter in your brain grows. So even just two weeks off of alcohol, we'll see an increase in gray matter and it keeps growing more and more the longer you're alcohol free. And so it's so interesting because they've studied that even a drinker, someone who drinks even just seven drinks a week, which is really like what you'd call healthy compared to a non-drinker, the drinker has a smaller brain than the drinker. So it's like really fascinating how much alcohol is actually affecting our bodies a lot more than we think it is, you know? So even someone who has, you know, just a few too many sometimes isn't considering themselves a problem drinker can really, really benefit from a lot of these health effects. In addition to that, so that's kind of like what's going on in the inside, but you feel all of this. So you start to feel radically better, more energy, your sleep improves. Even one glass of wine will reduce your REM sleep cycles from around five to six that you're supposed to have a night down to just like one or two. So you could sleep the whole eight hours after drinking and still not be getting that REM sleep that your brain and your body needs to be nourished. So the sleep really rebalances. It could take a while. It often can take a few weeks, depending on someone's drinking habit to really rebalance from all of this. So you might kind of feel weird the first few weeks or days, but by a month, a lot of these health effects have already kind of kicked in. 
But then what I think is really cool, what starts happening is some of the mental effects that happen as you're kind of introspecting into your own experience and really like noticing what's happening. So, you know, for me, like drinking was kind of like my Achilles heel. I always made rules around it. I tried to be super healthy. I was like, okay, no more than one drink today, or I'm not going to drink tonight or whatever we tell ourselves. And oftentimes these rules were broken. And over time, I felt like I just couldn't trust myself. You know, like this is just that one area of my life. I can't trust like whatever I say, my intentions are going to get broken. And over time that like really started damaging my self-esteem. And so one of the coolest things that happened when I took a break from alcohol is every single day I was rebuilding it. And I was telling my self-worth, you deserve to feel amazing every single day. And it really did something for my self-love. Like when I woke up the next day, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel great. Yesterday, that version of me that was in control yesterday, she loved me enough to look out for me today. And it was like the opposite always happened when I drank. It's like you wake up and you're like, oh my God, what did she do? Why did she drink too much? Why? Like, didn't she know I would feel like this? And you feel like disrespected. You almost feel like you didn't love yourself. So it's this like self-esteem, self-love really starts growing. And I think what happens from that, like really the healing and the energy and the motivation is you also start to get really confident because like most people don't take a month off alcohol, right? Like you said, your friends were struggling with it. And so when you start to push the limits of what you've ever done, you're like, okay, now I'm on 20 days. Now I'm on 30 days. Now I've done 40 days. Like it pushes your confidence up and up and up and up. And there's this pride around it because you're doing something most people won't do. And so for me, that really kind of toppled all the other limiting beliefs I had about my life. You know, I was like, wait a minute, if I could do this, this like hard thing that most people won't do, what else could I do? And because of all the extra time and energy and just ability to kind of sit with my emotions, I wasn't numbing them. I started to understand what my deeper desires were in life and that I had these deeper passions that I just wasn't cultivating for a long time. It was like work all week and then drink and watch Netflix or going out with friends. Like there was no progress I was making in my like bigger dreams and goals. And so that extra time and that confidence just really gave me this like, what if I did do things differently. Like what if I did launch a business, for example, and even my first year, that's what I did. I launched a business. I launched a podcast and I even wrote a first draft of my book in that very first year. I also ran a half marathon. That was something I never thought I could do, you know? So it's like you push the limits of what you think is possible for you because you're proving to yourself that so much is more possible than you think. And I'm not like an anomaly. I think it's a really common thing that happens with anyone who takes a break from alcohol. They just push their limits you get to redefine what's possible for you. And you also get to debunk a lot of the like old beliefs that you had around why you were drinking in the first place that just aren't true anymore or just don't serve you anymore. So it's a really fascinating mindset process as well. Yeah, all those health and mental things are just fascinating. There's so many things that I'd like to just unpack from that. But I think the biggest part, you know, you talk about helping people lose the desire to have alcohol. And is that coming from that increase in confidence and self-belief and all those things that you just talked about? It's like, okay, well, if I can do this, what else can I do? Does it all come from there? Because you feel like you're so much more powerful and achieving all these things. Does that then help you lose that desire to drink? Because that's just going to kind of unravel all those things. Yeah. Like, I think it has to be very conscious and intentional because I think you could take a break, for example, and just not do the habit. You're like, okay, just tonight I'm not drinking. Right. 
and you could not really be very introspective. And what ends up happening is you kind of are in a habit vacuum. You just removed a habit, but you're not, you're kind of feeling deprived and you're feeling left out. So what I challenge my clients to do is like, well, why do you feel deprived? What do you think you're getting out of a drink that would not make you feel deprived? Right. And so I think when it comes to alcohol, it's often not the drink itself we want. It's the feeling we believe a drink will give us. And the feeling we believe a drink will give us sometimes is not even scientifically accurate, nor is it like when you actually put it up to the light of reasoning, is it like who you want to be on this planet? So let me give you a few examples. So let's do one that's like really simple and one that's a little bit more like mindset. So the first one is easy. Like most people drink because they want to relax. They want to relax after work. It's stressful lives. You know, we think alcohol helps us relax. And the thing is, is that like scientifically that is not accurate one bit. So what alcohol does is it numbs our brain and it numbs our ability to have our, even our neurons fire. So it feels like relaxation because it's like, you're, you're don't have an ability to even think as critically anymore. Right. And obviously we see that when it gets like too drunk, you really can't think, and you really can't even speak well, but it's really not resolving any of that, that anxiety or that to do. In addition, it's actually releasing those stress hormones I talked about earlier. So your body has this natural combative system because alcohol is depressing the body and the mind, your, your brain and your mind is like, okay, wait, we need to get back up again. So it releases all these stimulants into your body, like the cortisol, the adrenaline and the dynorphin. And so that kind of like shoots you up and makes you super anxious and on edge. And most people feel this actually, if you only had one drink and you didn't drink after that you would feel it like an hour later, you would feel that weird kind of sensation. You're kind of exhausted. You're kind of cranky. You know, it's like the buzz is totally worn off. You're not feeling great. But if you drink all night, most of the time you'll feel this in the morning, in the early morning. So like if you've ever woken up at three or 4 AM after drinking, you know, you're super restless, you're thirsty. And you're kind of like, Oh, wait, what did I do? You know, like that kind of feeling it's really when these chemicals are racing through your brain. In addition to that, they actually then last in your body for almost a few weeks. So even just like one drinking episode to be able to handle your stress is making you incapable of handling that stress for weeks later because of all these stress hormones. You literally feel more stressed, right? You have like less resilience to handle it. And so scientifically, it's actually not true that alcohol relaxes us. Alcohol takes you out of your mind for a little bit. Well, so does a coma, right? Like so do a lot of things. Doesn't mean it's like good for you. Sitting with your emotions of whatever's happening with you and actually processing them or dealing with like having healthy coping mechanisms to express them, that's what helps you deal with stress. And then you actually feel resilient and capable to be able to handle the next thing. You know what I mean? Without being like five steps backwards. So that's like one example of how you can use like one reason like you like to drink and kind of debunk it for yourself and be like, wait a minute, it's not true. It's not actually true. But here's another one. So for example, socially. I'm an introvert and I was really shy growing up. So I used to think that alcohol was like this magical elixir that turned me into an extrovert. And basically because of the culture we live in too, we all pair socializing with alcohol. Like it's almost like you don't, there's not very many occasions outside of maybe like the work day where you're not socializing with alcohol in our society. So I kept teaching myself, my subconscious in order to be popular, in order to be likable, in order for people to talk to you, you have to drink. You have to outsource your confidence to a drink. And I kept doing that. And I always felt insecure without a drink. So I'd always go get a drink whenever I arrived somewhere. And I kept telling myself that. The thing is, it didn't work. 
I was totally insecure as a drinker too. I was like, do I have wine teeth? Did I say something dumb? Like, are they thinking about me the right way? And, you know, because I was consistently telling my subconscious, you are not enough on your own. Like nobody wants to talk to you unless you have a drink. How disempowering is that message? That's crazy, right? What I really needed to do was practice socializing as the real authentic me and come to believe that confidence is only something I'll ever find inside. It's not going to be found in an outside thing. You know what I mean? And that's something I had to really handle when I took a break from alcohol. It was awkward at first, right? But like I learned it's basically like a muscle that I never practiced in my life. And all I had to do was just work it out, you know, and get better and get better and better and more confident at it. And when I found that confidence, like authentically as the real me, I mean, if you think about it, when you don't drink, when you are just yourself sober, like that's you, that's who you are. Your brain's functioning the way it's supposed to. It's your, that's your intact personality. And when you take any kind of drug or alcohol, it changes it. And it doesn't necessarily change it to be more authentic. It slows things down. It messes things up. You know what I mean? And so finding the confidence to be myself really helped me debunk that limiting belief. And so I no longer feel sure. Sometimes I could be nervous or feel a little like awkward when I'm first meeting people. I think that's the human experience. I think that's how we all interact. Kids surely do too, right? But you ease into it and you allow yourself to experience it. And now I have so much more fun, so much more uh, connection as well with the people I'm talking to. You know, yesterday I went to a wedding and I danced for like two hours straight. And I was the type of person who thought like, I can't dance without drinking. Like, no way. I don't know how to dance. I'm going to look like an idiot. And I just didn't care. I just had a blast. Like I was just, it was so thrilling. And it almost felt like, like bungee jumping or just doing something so wild because like, it's so unexpected, you know, to, to, to dance without drinking. It literally feels like you're allowing your wild woman to come out. So that's just like two examples of two different beliefs that we normally have around why we like to drink. And let's say the normal person, the average person has like 10 of those. So like, what if you could take each 10 of those reasons and slowly chip away at them? What ends up happening is you actually chip away at your desire too. Because if alcohol at the end of the day doesn't serve any benefit, if it doesn't give you any comfort, it does, if it doesn't help you or you don't even believe it helps you achieve all things, and you found that all within yourself or other healthy coping mechanisms, it starts to just be like irrelevant. Like, why would I want that? That doesn't really help me do anything. You know what I mean? So it's not like I can't drink. It's I really don't want to. And I feel really lucky. I don't have to. Yeah. Oh, there's such like massive takeaways, those points you made. And I think it's so counter to what we, we kind of just believe as a culture and the whole idea that, oh, you know, I get home from work and I want to wind down. So I deserve to have a drink because it's like that belief that I I can't wind down unless I'm having a drink. But then what you're talking about with the actual science behind that, and I didn't know that it actually raised your cortisol and adrenaline. And so it is absolutely counterproductive to drink, to wind down, but it's just that numbing feeling like you said and the the other point you made you know waking up three four o'clock in the morning with anxiety and that's something that I have experienced on occasion I think wake up like oh I just feel so you know wired and and there's no real reason for it but I guess that all makes sense with all the different chemical reactions that are going on in the brain then so for me that's a massive eye-opener and also just say you are like a, a casual drinker like maybe you drink on the weekends or maybe a couple during the week How long does it actually take for that small amount of alcohol to leave your system? 
It's such a good question. And it kind of always depends per person and like the exact drinking habit. But I would say with the situation you you brought up, it, it will take about like a few days just to get like a- alcohol, the ethanol and the byproducts out of your system. But then it takes a while longer for those stress hormones to kind of clear up. And so basically not only does the stress hormones like do are those activated when you drink, but over time, alcohol also diminishes your receptivity to things like dopamine, serotonin, and GABA. So it's raising all the bad ones, and then it's lowering all the good ones. And that process is also this kind of mental rebalance that you can expect. And that's why I call my book and my, my program and all of my things euphoric, because that's literally how I felt a few weeks into it. I think I was around like four weeks all of a sudden I was like a kid in a candy shop. Like I was feeling so good. I was so happy. I was elated. I was like giddy, like feeling like I was literally falling in love. And so that process can take a little longer. Cause like your brain necessarily, you know, if you've been drinking every weekend since you're 18, like I was like, it's almost as if you're an adult, you've never even experienced what your natural state is like your natural neurotransmitters. Right. So that can take a little bit while longer. So I would say a week, probably for alcohol, one to three weeks for those stress hormones and around one to three weeks for sleep to rebalance too. So some people actually find it, it starts to become a little harder to fall asleep the first week. And it's only because your body is all of a sudden thrown out of its ritual its cycle. You know what I mean? And those stress hormones are still there, but then you're not, you're not numbing it. You're not depressing it. Right. So it's like only the stress hormones are still there, but just be patient. Just like take it easy. Your first few weeks off, and it will rebalance. And so then like most of my clients find that their sleep gets really good within like one to four weeks. Like they're just on fire. They feel amazing. They feel super energetic. Energy levels go up <clears throat> within like four weeks, definitely, if not even earlier. And then those mental things start happening, you know, at four to six weeks as well. And then I would say like the longer you go, you know, like when did I feel like I was confident enough to launch a business? Not my first 30 days, to be honest with you, because it wasn't long enough for me to feel like I really made an identity shift. But when I kept going and I remember even thinking about it, like I was in this position where I had taken 70 days off alcohol at that point and I was in uh, on a trip to Japan. And when I planned this trip to Japan, I had always said it was just going to take a break from alcohol. I wasn't going to quit forever and I could drink in Japan if I wanted to. And I was feeling so good on my break. I was feeling so happy. I started getting these creative ideas to write a book. I started feeling like, wow, my life could be really different. Like I've never experienced any of this before. I felt so much wonder and appreciation every day. I was flooded with gratitude every day. And so I was actually at this bar in Japan and I was being offered a drink. And I remember thinking to myself, the moment I have that drink, all of this is going to go away this new sense of wonder, this new like childlike appreciation, this new belief that I can do anything, it's all going to go away. And what is it for? A beer that I've had like thousands of times before in my life, you know, like been there, done that. I'm more hungry to see what would happen if I keep pushing the envelope. And so some of the more mental, like introspective benefits can take definitely like maybe your second month or even your third month. And that's why I think it's so exciting to, you know, dip your toe and experiment into this because you really never know, like you might be one alcohol-free day away from like the next biggest transformation of your life. You know what I mean? I remember in just two months alcohol-free, I got this message from something else outside of me book. And here I am four years later going to talk about my book that's coming out, you know? So I just like, I'm so grateful for the version of me that kept going just to see 
I, I know what it feels like to be a drinker. I know that feeling so well. I've lived it for like a decade plus. What I don't know is what would happen if I keep going on this journey. And it doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be forever, obviously. I always like recommend people just try it, just experiment with it, just see what happens. You could take one break and then go back to drinking and be like, I don't know, I kind of like not drinking better and then take another break. But then when you're really like liking it, just kind of keep pulling the string to see what would happen because the benefits just keep getting better and better and better. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something that I'd like to explore further because after dry July on day 30, I was kind of, you know, I don't really want to have a drink and, you know, then going to social uh, like barbecues and stuff, it goes back into a normal rhythm. But I think definitely I felt more energy and it kind of changed the way that I thought about it just in 30 days. I don't think I've had nearly as much to drink in the time since July to now and then doing it again in November. So I think it's it's funny. It's just such a mindset thing, but I think you almost have to experience the feeling and the benefits of it to really go, hey, you know, that this is good and like there's something in this, you know, what's next kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think it is like you you don't have to commit to anything on the outset or even to any kind of like forever or whatever, but just just having that curiosity and just really introspecting and allowing yourself to live life a little differently to, you know, experience yourself differently. It's so eye-opening. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you combat some of the social pressures and that fear of missing out when you're going to weddings and parties and stuff like that, when you've decided to go through a dry period or give it up, but your friends is kind of like, oh, just, just have one, you know? How do you deal with those things? That's such a great question. And, you know, just for the fear of missing out, and then I'll answer the social like pressure, but for the fear of missing out, like when you actually take a break from alcohol and all of your brain chemistry rebalances, there's so much joy. I think it's like, remember when we were kids, like we didn't drink and we went rollerblading and we climbed trees and we put on plays and there was such a thrill to life back then. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what you're stepping into. So it's almost like you're not missing out. You get to experience even more joy and pleasure when you do it. But another really cool thing to remember too, there's so many alcohol-free drinks out there on the market these days. There's literally non-alcoholic IPA. There's non-alcoholic wine. There's non-alcoholic soft cocktails that you can get. Literally anything that they make in an alcoholic version now comes in a non-alcoholic version. So I tell my clients, don't deprive yourself. Don't not give yourself a treat. Don't not pamper yourself. Don't order a tap water at a restaurant. You know, there's restaurants now that have mocktails and all these other options. And that's kind of like the placebo effect. Like you feel just as high sometimes when you're out with your friends socializing with a different beverage in your cup. Like who cares what's actually in your cup? The fun comes from being with your friends and from really having a good time. And then like if people are actually like cajoling you or you feel just like the social pressure, this is one thing I love to tell my clients and love to remember. So they've done studies, and at least in the United States, they've found that over 52% of people want to drink less or not at all. The majority of people, right? But most aren't doing it. So sometimes you have to be the leader. Sometimes you have to be the first person in your friend group to do what everybody else wishes they want, were doing but aren't yet. And so when you think of it that way, and you show up to a party, and everyone's drinking, and you're the only one not drinking, I actually like to feel like a rebel. I like to feel like, I'm a role model here. I'm an inspirer. And I bet you it will pique the interest of other people there. 
but they might not yet have the bravery or even the intuition to be able to like express that yet. You know what I mean? So personally, if I went to a party five years ago and I saw someone not drinking, it would have rocked my world. It would have shocked me. I would have been like, wait a minute, you're allowed to come here and not drink and still have fun. You know what I mean? Because I just believed you had to drink at a party. And so I think like you can really set yourself up to feel the same way that like you actually are inspiring other people. So if someone has questions to ask you about it, they're like, oh, you're doing like uh, dry January and like why, or what are the benefits or whatever they're asking? It's probably not actually about you. They're asking, they're probably kind of curious about doing something like this and like having someone, you know, like even if they're asking, oh, is it hard? Like they're just trying to kind of like tease it out because they're interested possibly in doing it themselves. And if someone's rude, if someone's like really cajoling you or like, hey, like you should drink or whatever. Honestly, I like to tell people like that's a red flag on them. They're not talking about you whatsoever. They probably feel really insecure about the fact that they're going to drink alone or without you. And they feel also insecure about their own relationship with alcohol and the fact that they feel like they need it. You know, like here you are showing up not drinking, but they feel like I really need to drink. And so that kind of brings up their own psychology. And so a lot of times when people are being rude or talking down to you or just anything like that, I hardly ever experience it, by the way, just because of the way I kind of wear not drinking. It's just like my identity. I'm super proud of it. But at first it can be kind of awkward and kind of weird. And you're just telling people. I just like to remember the majority of people actually wish that they're doing this too. And, and like, when you feel like when you frame it like that, you, you stop feeling like the odd one out or like the person who can't drink, you start feeling like, wow, like I'm a role model here. And the funny thing is, is that as I've, I've gotten alcohol free, so many of my, my friends have followed suit. They've taken breaks themselves. They've started drinking less or they've gone alcohol free. So it's kind of so interesting how, like, I was so worried about what they would think but it turns out everyone was kind of wishing they did that. And I just want to show this story. So there's this really cool book club in San Diego where I live, and it's composed of really high level women. So they're like the CEOs and the C-suite and the VPs and the presidents of a lot of different companies here in San Diego. And it was a book club with lots of wine, right? They, they read a book and they, and they drank wine. And the leader of the book club, she was like the most, you know, had the most like prestige in the book, the most status in the book club. She told everyone that she is taking a break from alcohol for the foreseeable future. And she's like, you guys can drink if you want to, but I'll have mocktails here if if anyone wants to. And it was so interesting what happened when she kind of took that first step because so many other people started drinking the mocktails too, and actually expressed relief. Like, oh, we don't have to go to a book club on a Tuesday and drink too much and then feel really crappy the next day. Like it was actually like a relief that the pressure was gone. And you never know that. You never know that unless you're kind of willing to either go first or maybe even have that conversation. I always like to remember everybody feels crappy after drinking. You're not the only one on the planet. So if you don't like how you feel the next day after drinking, if it doesn't help you be, you know, healthy, if it doesn't allow you to work on your business or your career, if it doesn't make you feel motivated the next day, you're not the only one. Other people feel like that too. And you being honest about it and being like, you know what? I really just want to be healthier. I really want to feel great. I really want to be motivated and productive. Other people will understand that even if they don't have the language for it yet. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating story as well. And, you know, it's such a great way to 
lead by example and do something for yourself, but could also make a positive impact on your friend group. You know, if people are also having the ideas, but they're not quite ready just to go for it, but they see you doing it and then they want to be part of it as well and try it for themselves. So yeah, it's a really great stories. So I would love to hear all about your book and it's going to hit our bookshelves next year. So tell me all about it. Thank you so much for asking. Yes, I'm super excited. Euphoric is basically about how amazing it is to take a break from alcohol. And so the first two parts of the book will show you why. So a lot of those health benefits I mentioned, a lot of those mindset benefits, a lot of the incredible pride and gratitude and soulful connections you'll create, the book kind of lays it out for you and gives you an example of how that can all manifest into your life. So you start reading it and you're like, oh my gosh, this life sounds so good, so juicy. Like, I can't wait to try it myself. And it also shares a lot of those statistics that I was sharing about consumption levels across the world, especially in Western countries, because really everyone's kind of over drinking is what happens is like the health guidelines are super low, super strict. Most people don't just have one drink when they go out. You know what I mean? And this is, so this isn't a problem. This is kind of like a common phenomenon. When you kind of understand it through that lens, it stops being embarrassing. It just starts to be like, Hey, I want to look at my relationship with alcohol. Just like I might want to look in my relationship at health or, you know, do something else that's really good for me and start viewing it in that lens instead of a problem that needs to be fixed. So once you kind of read through those parts, you also get a plan. So you get a master plan for your own eight week guide off of alcohol. And that eight week plan will guide you to not only debunk a lot of those mindset things we were talking about, about how to actually remove your desires for drink, drinking and those reasons, but then also kind of carry you through any of those situations. Like, well, what about my social life? Or what about all this free time I'm going to have? Like another big feeling that people get why they're kind of scared to take a break from alcohol is actually feeling bored, which is so ironic because we are so busy. We are so busy. Everyone's like, I have no time. I have so much to do. And it's so funny that one of the biggest fears we have about taking a break from alcohol is that we're going to be bored, but we're also so strapped for time. So what ends up happening is that you take a break and you do regain a lot of time. And a lot of times it can feel weird and restless because you're not sure what to do with it. But what I love and what ends up happening for almost everyone I've met who's taken a break from alcohol is you find new passions. You find new ways to spend your time that enrich you. And you might have new experiences like trying new things. So for example, I remember doing all these new hobbies. My first like break from alcohol, I was going paddle boarding. I was doing yoga. I was going to writer's workshops. I was going to the museum, the symphony just all these new things that I'd never tried before were really coming into my life. And from that kind of experimentation phase, I also found that I started to deepen my passion and discover what I wanted to do more. So when I was a drinker, I worked this nine to five job. I couldn't wait for the weekend. Every weekend I was like, I can't wait for Friday, right? I can't wait to like let loose and like unwind. But I didn't realize how much that was a signal that I was actually unfulfilled in what I was doing. And so it wasn't until I took a break from alcohol and started having these new experiences and this new confidence that I was like, you know what? I want to do no more. I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing something that makes a direct impact on people. And I want to control my own financial freedom. And I want to be able to travel whenever I want. And I want not to have a boss. And I really, really want to write a book. And so it was like this process where really getting through my break and this process that I guide people through in the, in the eight-week plan is helping you uncover your deeper passions and how you actually want to spend time on this planet. 
Because I think if we were really ultimately fulfilled, if we were really doing the things that our soul was calling us to do, and we really believe that anything was possible, unhealthy coping mechanisms like alcohol would just not get the same light of day. We drink because it's a way to kind of like, <clears throat> when it's not social, we, we drink to kind of put like this numbness, this this like excuse to why like we're not feeling so fulfilled or just like, oh, it's a hard day instead of uncovering why it's so hard or uncovering why it's so stressful or anything like that. You just kind of numb it and you could numb those experiences for a really long time and never make any progress in your life. But having this kind of framework where not only you take a break, but you discover what your deeper passions are and then get the tools to start working on them. Like that's where I see the biggest success with my clients. It's not about alcohol. Honestly, at the end of the day, it really isn't. It's about being alive to your life. And I just think the transformative process of what happens when you shift your identity from someone who relies on alcohol to someone who doesn't rely on it anymore, it just opens so many doors. So that's the book in the nutshell. And it is available in Australia and in the rest of the Western world on pre-sale right now. It's called Euphoric Dish Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. I think the Australian version has a slightly different title, Euphoric Dish Alcohol and Reclaim Your Life or something. But anyway, check it out on Amazon. It will be there for you. And anyone who pre-sales, pre-orders the book right now is going to get a special gift. So if you go to euphoricbook.com slash gift, you will get a gift that is only available for your audience. And it's basically a 31 day guide to walk someone every single day through their next dry month. So dry January is coming up. It's the perfect time to get this free guide. And it will actually walk you through all of those situations that we talked about today, like socializing, relaxing, coming up with new activities to do all that kind of stuff. So be sure to get that euphoricbook.com slash gift. And then also there's all of these other free bonuses that I'm giving with the book as well, including a mocktail recipe book so that you really don't have to change the ritual of having a drink at the end of a hard day. You just change the drink. It's so easy and it works. I promise you it does. So there's all these cool mocktail recipe ideas that you can have. And I also have a 50 things to do instead of drinking checklist so that you can start getting really creative with how to spend your time, discover deeper new passions, as well as how to socialize confidently without alcohol. So you can find all of those goodies at euphoricbook.com slash gift, and you can pre-order the book there as well so that you get your copy pretty much just in time for dry January. That is awesome. I would love to know, hands up, who is going to do dry January with me? I'm going to commit right now. (laughs) And yeah, I would love to know, reach out on social media if you're going to join us through that. Final question that I love to ask everyone what is your biggest belief around becoming the master of your own mindset? I think that's such a good question. And I think like the most limiting belief you can ever have is that you are just a character in a world that you can't control. And sure, there's a lot of things in play in the world right now where it does feel like that. But when you finally discover that if you don't like how your life is working, if you don't like something about your dynamic, your job, your relationships, your health, your relationship with alcohol, all of those things are in the realm of your control. And when you start believing that there's things that you could actually do to make any change in the world, I think it just becomes so empowering to live in a playground of magic instead of thinking that we're like just trudging through our lives. And I'll just give you one quick example. You know, I had wanted to be an author ever since I was six years old. And I was really voracious when I was younger at writing. I would write journals and short stories and poems. 
And then right when I became a drinker, when I went to college and went to partying and all that stuff, I just totally stopped writing. And so then in my later 20s, I started making New Year's resolutions because I was like, I really still want to write a book. It's like the one dream I have in life. If I don't do it, I'll be really disappointed. So I made these New Year's resolutions every year. I want you to write, 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 write. Every single year, I never wrote anything, not even a paragraph. I could barely get that much out. And I was just so disappointed. And I just felt like your, your dream is just never going to happen. It's just not in the cards for you. I literally believed it was just not possible for me. And I took my break from alcohol. And within two months, somewhere from like somewhere, I got this book idea. I got the chapter titles. I got the book title and I got the entire book like downloaded to me from the universe. And every single day I started working on it just a little bit, just 15 minutes here and there. Right. And it was like not that long before I had a manuscript. And then it was not that long before I had a book proposal and then an agent and then a book deal. And then now it's freaking being sold across the world and will be featured in targets. Like, I just can't believe it. All it took was the belief that it was possible and one baby step after the next. So if I could leave anyone with that is that your dreams literally were given to you by someone else, by something else, whatever your belief system is. And I think we believe that they're just so unattainable in this lifetime, yet you really do control your life. You control your dreams and it is your destiny to fulfill them. And it might be really hard at first and you might be feel really overwhelmed, but it just takes one little baby step consistently over and over and over. And there's so many guides out there who could show you how to do it because they've already done the thing that you want to do. Like, you know, right? Like there's so many people out there. There's probably not one dream that hasn't been accomplished yet for the most part. Like there are guides out there to show you how to do it. I love that answer. Thank you for sharing that story. And I'm so happy that you got to achieve that dream of yours. That's awesome. Thank you. Carolina, thank you so much for coming on the Mindset Mastery podcast today. It's been awesome to talk with you. Thank you so much, Rachel. You're an incredible host. And I just really look forward to any of the listeners' dry January experiences. You know, if this conversation piqued your interest, it's not about quitting forever. It's just taking the first date, you know, just go on a date, see what you like, compare apples to oranges, and then you get to decide. You get to be the master of your own habits instead of letting this outdated, unconscious habit that's just really given to us by society control you. You get to decide. So, you know, get the book, check it out. And it was so nice to be able to speak to your audience today and to you, Rachel. You get to be the master of your own habits. And it's something that we love talking about on this show, just reinforcing it again and again. So if you would like to pre-order Carolina's book, head down to the show notes below, and you can also connect with her on the links to her social media and website that is in the notes. If you've been enjoying Mindset Mastery, it'd be awesome if you could take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited.